When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. This is part two of Gibbo's Corner on Kevin Keegan. So sit back and tune in. Hopefully you will enjoy it. We're going to move on to his management, like mm. you say, part of the Magpie group that got him into Newcastle. But just just briefly, from having Kevin Keegan there, the star player, Newcastle on high, promoted to the, to the top division, how did Newcastle handle not having Keegan there? Because obviously we know when Keegan came in as manager, things were... Yeah, we're, we're horrid, but I mean that's it. What what's a it's a six year gap, is it? Five, yeah, five, yeah. During so. much time, incidentally, he went and lived in Spain and played golf every day, so he couldn't have been further out of the scene, the the the, the scene in this country. Um, I mean, it was quite a whammy at the at the time, Andrew, as well, because they lost their centerpiece of, of their whole existence, which was Keegan, but they also lost um, Arthur Cox who went off to manage Derby County because he, he, he saw what was lying ahead and the, the reluctance of the board to do something about it. So they lost um, Arthur Cox, they lost Kevin Keegan, uh, Terry McDermott, as it happened, never kicked another ball for Newcastle. He had a contract situation that meandered on the beginning of the next season, went off and went to Cyprus and played for Tommy Cassidy in, in Cyprus. So there wasn't just... Losing one man, the whole core, they lost the, the main man, but also lost the manager. The Beardsley and Waddle and, left. And yeah, I mean, the whole of, of Newcastle began to disintegrate. We've got uh, Jack Charlton in, who only stayed for a season and played football in a very different way, which Waddle and Beardsley didn't enjoy, Beardsley in particular. Um, so the... Newcastle are a tale of missed opportunities. We're going back to when Keegan was playing. It was a missed opportunity when Keegan left as a manager and the entertainers were allowed to dissipate. It was a, a missed opportunity with Bobby Robson. Newcastle have a history of missed opportunities. So was there a moment in those five, six years where you just thought, how have we gone from such a high to, mm. to this mess? Absolutely. But when, it, when you're with Newcastle United, you sometimes think, how the heck did we have those eyes? <laughs> the, the mess is, is understandable. It's a high. I look back at the, at the entertainers and I don't think, I do actually think what could have been. And I dare not think of it. But, but I also think we were second top two successive seasons of the Premier League. How on earth did that happen? Not how on earth did they make a mess of things, because we know how on earth Newcastle United make a mess of things. Since 1969, they've, uh, they've, they've regularly put their foot in. Um, on to him coming in as manager then. We all, most of us have probably seen the footage um, of the doors swinging open and you know, mm. Sir John Hall you know, would like to... Oh, I mean, it, 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 if his first coming was a shock which it was, the England captain coming to play in the second division. This was equally as sensational in a totally different way. This manager was come. this guy was coming to manage Newcastle United, um, a huge club on a downer. Again, of course, that's when managers are called upon. But he hadn't managed a club. He never looked like he was going to be a manager. Um, you know, you can often see players and think, he'll make good manager. Uh, or he will certainly want to be a manager. You never thought that about Kevin Keegan. You never thought about him being a coach. He, he'd been such a superstar player that he didn't need to stay in football. He never showed a, a, a wish to become a coach, and he would never have been able to become a coach. That was not his strength. He was never a tactical man. He, he was like Joe Harvey. He was a man-manager that, that brought in good coaches. Um, but he never looked the part, and yet... Newcastle at the time were sliding into oblivion um, again down the second division. The difference this time was the takeover was underway with John Hall taking over from the board in a bloody two-year fight. It was almost completed. John Hall was onto the board because they'd forced him on, but they, some of the directors who were going to be removed um, very quickly weren't removed at the 
at that particular moment and so John Hall was in charge but without a lot of support within the boardroom and a decision was made. It was early February 1992 and quite famous, Newcastle went down to play Oxford United in the last 5-2. Ozzy Ardiles was the manager. Uh, he supported the kids because he didn't have good quality senior players. He put a lot of kids in who, and to these days, people like Clark and Watson and, and all the kids at the time, Howie, love him. He turned Howie from a centre, an average centre forward into a centre half who played for England. Uh, they all loved Ozzy because he gave them a chance. But the trouble is, we played attractive football, we scored two goals and lay in five. And we did it regularly with Ozzy. Um, and when we went, we went down to Oxford. We lost 5-2. It was a famous occasion where everybody was thinking we might have a World Cup winner as a manager, but this club's going to fall out the bottom of the second division. So Douglas Hall's rushing out of the ground, which is Sir John Hall's son, who's a director at the club. He's rushing out the ground at the end. He's grabbed by a, a reporter as he's walking, and he keeps walking and says, what about Ozzy Ardiles? Um, what about his job? Is he going to go? And Douglas says, he's certainly not. He's as safe as houses. So the headline on the Sunday said, Ozzy is as safe as houses. And on the Monday, they had a meeting to sack him. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and that's basically... The reason why they decided to sack him, which opened the door for Keegan, is because on the Monday, they were so perturbed about uh, the way Newcastle were going that... Um, that Douglas, Freddie Shep and Freddie Fletch uh, held a board meeting uh, at which Ozzy was called in, what are you going to do about this mess way, and etc., etc., and he waffled on. They weren't too impressed by his answers, and suddenly Fred Shepard said to him, I'm going to ask you the bottom line, can you keep us up? And Ozzy's reply was the Latin reply, to shrug his shoulders and nod his head from side to side like maybe I, I can, maybe I can't. And they looked at each other at the end of that meeting and said, if he's not certain if he can keep up, what chance have we got? And the decision was then took that they've got to do something about it. And uh, Freddie Fletcher uh, knew KK well and suggested that Keegan could be the answer he kept in touch with Keegan he knew Keegan would be interested he knew what had happened up here although he wasn't part of it when uh, Keegan come up as a player and he thought he can rouse them again and his infectiousness will do that John Hall was uneasy about it because he just John Hall underneath and there was there's a lot of steel in John Hall but there's also a bit of a nice trade and you couldn't find a nicer man as your dealers and ironically they'd been out for dinner just two days before that privately as friends Hall and Ozzy and they'd got on very very well and then all of a sudden John Hall's gonna have to knife him in the back and he was very very uneasy about uh, the whole idea. But it was arranged that they would go down with a private jet to London to meet Kevin Keegan, who would have flown in from, from Spain. Amazingly, because Newcastle was skinned, Kevin Keegan picked the hotel, booked the room where they would meet, and paid for it himself for a meeting with the Newcastle United directors. It was in the Hilton Hotel. When the Newcastle contingent got down there, um, television cameras were everywhere and they thought, oh, I don't believe this. It's, it's got out somehow that we're meeting KK and the press are here for it. In fact, they picked the Hilton and there was a, a showbiz um, a variety club dinner, lunch, on that lunchtime. And all the paparazzi were there for the showbiz celebs. Who were, so they, they went up to the room, they, they held a meeting, it went terrifically well, the, the interesting condition that um, Kevin King said he'd, he'd love to do it, etc., etc., he'd paid for the room and he said, the one condition that I want to do is that I want to bring Terry Mack up with me. And they sort of went, ooh, and he said, and I'll pay his wages. So 
what a deal. They've got Kevin Keegan, who was going to turn out to be the saviour of the club. He'd, he'd paid for the room in London, and he was paying for his number two's wages. So uh, I think under those circumstances, Newcastle United thought it was a good deal. Very good deal. So again, the same question as I asked you when he joined as a player. When you first heard the first rumour that he was going to join as manager, what was your initial thought? Is it, is it audible? Well, no, I've got to be truthful in this case, Andrew. This was a different case to when he joined as a player. I was part of the Magpie group, you've got to remember, in this case. So even when they were discussing it, I was part of the discussion. So when it was first, discu- when it was the idea then in, within the Magpie group, when it was first promoted? Oh, I, 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 I was saying, well, he, A, he won't take it. He's playing golf and he doesn't need the hassle. I mean, when you play, you're in charge of yourself. And if you play well, your job's done. And the manager's got to sort the rest of it. When you're manager, you're in charge of everything. And he's got, I said, he doesn't need to ask, he won't do. And also, are you kidding me? This guy's been eight years in Spain. He's never picked up a paper or watched football on the telly, never mind being round the grounds. Uh, he, he's, he is Kevin Keegan, but he hasn't got any of the contacts. He's going to come in and from day one, he's going to have to sign players, run players... Uh, I know his charisma, but will he be able to pick up the threads quick enough? And and will he be able to manage? Because while he's charismatic, he's not a coach and never has been, but but he was going to bring in coaches. And it wasn't going to be Terry Mack. Terry Mack was going to be like him, not a coach, but they were going to be the, the Morecambe and Wise of, of the club. And Terry Mack, don't let us underestimate, he was known as the gopher. He would go for this and go for that. But, but he was terrific foil. Keegan wanted somebody to look after his back, somebody to bounce ideas off, who had played at the very, very top and won European Cups with Liverpool more than Keegan, who had left to go to Hamburg, etc., um, etc. Et so it, it, it worked, but it seemed an absolute nonsense. I was aware of it from the start. I was cynical about whether A, they would be able to pull it off and B, it would work at the very start. Both proved to be tremendously tremendously wrong because the the whole thing did work. I mean, the interesting thing, going back from that meeting, you know, whether in London where it was all agreed and was agreed so quickly it was untrue. The private plane that they'd flown down on, they then got on the private plane and flew on to Southampton because um, Keegan Aloy was over in Marbella, had kept his his mansion on just outside of Southampton as his, his base and he wanted to go back to get the gear so they flew from Newcastle to London had the meeting London to Southampton so that they could go to Keegan's house and he could pack, pack an overnight bag etc and then they flew from Southampton to Teesside to stay at Sir John Hall's house when he had a hall which was near Middlesbrough um, and they were staying there overnight before coming on to Newcastle. Um, and the funny thing, Freddie Fletcher, who was a, a Scot with tremendous... He was nicknamed the Rockweiler because he, he, he had a, a, a bite about him when he did uh, deals on behalf of Newcastle. He was a Rockweiler. Um, but he had a lot of uh, charisma about him as well. And the funny thing, he, so he stayed at Wynyard with Sir John Hall and with Kevin Keegan, ready to go up the next morning to Newcastle. Um, 1.30 in the morning he's in bed there's a rat-a-tat on his door urgent knock, 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 knock on his door he leaps up doesn't know where he is of course when he temporarily comes awake because he's in he didn't know he was going to stay overnight at, at Wynyard staggers to the door can't find the light switch staggers to the door with, in just his underpants opens the door it's Kevin Keegan standing at the door opens it, loses his foot and falls headlong down the stairs to the to the bottom of the stairs, so, which Keegan thought was absolutely hilarious. In fact, what it was, Jean, Kevin's wife, had been on the phone saying there's a man outside the house, etc., etc., and he's knocking on the door and all, um, and she was phoning Kevin in a panic, thinking it's a paparazzi have got on the story and etc., what it would do, and he wanted... Fletcher to look after it. So Fletcher got on the phone to Gene. Turned out to be a bloke that actually had a puncture in his car outside this desolate mansion in the middle of nowhere and was knocking on the door to try to get some help. But um, next day, up to Newcastle, and the ruthlessness, the quickness of, of how things change. The arrangements Newcastle and I are put in shape, and you've got to bear in mind that I'm going in the office the next morning knowing that this is going to happen. In the office don't know that this is going to happen. 
they know I've kept them off the record in touch with the Keegan thing, but they don't know. I go in the office at 7 o'clock and tell them that at 8 o'clock, Aussie Ordealers is going to be told he's got the sack. At 9 o'clock, the rest of the board, because there were the non-John Hall members still left over from the old school who were kept in the dark so that they couldn't sabotage anything, so at 8 o'clock, Ozzy was told he got the sack. 9 o'clock, the rest of the board were told were sacking Ozzy in appointing Keegan. And at 9.30, there was a press conference at the breweries for the press to meet the new manager of Newcastle United. And they didn't even know Ozzy Ordealis was sacked. So you can imagine the office when I went in 7 o'clock and told them all that was happening. And I had to write the story and still be sitting in the front row at 9.30 at the press conference for Keegan coming in. And... Um, Freddie Fletcher was dispatched to Ozzy's house to, to tell him at 8 o'clock to tell him that he was sacked, uh, which he duly did. And um, the amazing thing is Ozzy was such a nice man. He actually invited Freddie Fletcher to stay and have breakfast with him after being told he'd got the sack. And Freddie stayed and, and had breakfast in with... Um, with Ozzy after after giving Ozzy the sack. And, of course, the, the rumour and the laugh was that because it was a clubhouse that Ozzy was in. And after Ozzy left, Freddie Fletcher moved into the clubhouse. And, and uh, I asked Freddie, I said, while well, you were there sacking Ozzy, did, did you ask him if he'd leave the curtains? Like, because they fit nicely at the window and everything for when you moved in. And in fact, he, he did move in. And um, it was it was 9.30 was the press conference yet again. Out he comes, and there was an audible gasp, gasp this time. When he came as a player, the word is leaked out that he was coming as a player. Crikey me, the Chronicle was on the streets saying that he was flying into Newcastle. So it was a shock he signed for Newcastle, but it wasn't a shock that he came into the press conference because it was already in the Chronicle. Although I'd written the story and it was all done by the time I went up to the press conference, it still wasn't on the streets. And the shock was... The, the, the shock and then the round of applause and the buzz when Keegan walked out in Newcastle was absolutely phenomenal. Um, again, the impact of a man was just ridiculous. Um, and he did that time and time and time and time again. And, of course, he did bring um, Terry Mack up. Uh, and that, again, was the start of an amazing relationship in Newcastle because long after um, KK went, Terry Mack stayed on with and played the same role with Dalglish and Souness, who had been like KK in the Liverpool team with him, and stayed and did it with Roda and Allardyce, and then KK again under, under Mike Ashley. Uh, Terry Mack came, came back for that, so it was an amazing new career opened with him. And while he was his gopher, the, the best thing Terry Mack did for Newcastle, and I'm not being flip about Terry Mack, I love the man to death, he did a terrific job at Newcastle, uh, underestimated for his contribution, but the greatest thing he did was Kevin Keegan always lived on a trigger's edge. Uh, he was he walked out on Newcastle five times. It was only the last time that they let him go. The other four times, Terry Mack chased him and brought him back in a car. A couple of times it got out. This isn't the way it was in the brochure, if you remember the famous quote. A couple of times it never got out at all that he'd walked out because Terry got him in and brought him back. The fifth time, Newcastle decided after four that if it ever happened again, they would let it happen because we couldn't live like this. And sure enough, it did happen again, and sure enough, they let it happen again. But um, Terry Mack had a bigger contribution than people realised because he was he was terrific behind the scenes. And of course, what did we get? We got the build-up towards the entertainers. Um, so wonderful, wonderful times ahead. And my great worry, this man's been missing. Will he be able to do it? We're on the verge of the third division and, and we ended up runners-up in the Premier League. So we'll briefly, because we've got still a lot of, very lot, much, <laughs> a lot of talk about it. Right? I mean, you've still got about 70 sheets of paper. I have. I'm going to have to cut there. them short. Um, so the, 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 the kind of the, the few months he was in charge as Newcastle were, were facing relegation, it went all right and then it didn't go too good and then comes the last day of the season against a high fly and Leicester side. Newcastle are pretty much looking like they're going to be relegated. You then have a bizarre own goal where the defender oh. tries to clear it, it hits his own head and bounces in the net. And Incredible. 
the scenes. I mean, I mean were you worried on that day that this this is this is backfired? I was, I was because I even thought I shouldn't have worried um, because everything Keegan did from scoring on his debut to scoring his last game in Newcastle to announce and he was leaving on Valentine's Day, retiring. Everything turns out for the best with Keegan. But you, you, you actually thought, I honestly thought this, he's come too late or he's not good enough, which is it? And and at that time, his charisma, the charismatic bit was rubbing off on the players on the on the club. But it was almost like, you know, when um, when uh, Benitez came and Newcastle went down because he came too late. I mean, he, he was winning the home games, but it was too late to keep us up when we went down just a couple of years back. Uh, and you almost thought, is it come too late, this, the Keegan thing? But I ought to have known better. That, I mean, you know, can you get anything more dramatic than a last-minute own goal It was going to keep you from going into the third division? Because if Newcastle had gone to third division, I think Keegan would have taken to his toes. Uh, he would have thought, I don't really need. I think he said, didn't he, that it's not to be unfair to the players, but there wouldn't have been his and Terry Mark's choice of players. And it was he yeah. was in a position where they'd gone down... The, the type of players you had to buy yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been Keegan type of players because there was only one way Keegan was going to play. He was going to play as a manager and that was the way he played as a player. He was going to attack whatever division he's in. He, he, he was going to attack. Um, yeah, he wanted to win 4-3. I mean, he always said, which, which I don't quite believe, he always said Newcastle fans would love a marauding not no draw than a ground out one nil defensive win, and I'm not quite certain that's true. Certainly not this blinking moment when we when Newcastle are in the situation they're in. But I know what he was about, and it was and he wouldn't have bought players for the third division. Um, he was clever boy. He bought players for for the second division to take them up, like Killer Kill Klein and and various players like that, and then jettison them for the better players as we start going through the division. Um so but we needed that day and it just restored your faith again. I mean, you know, you don't it says you're better to be lucky than talented. But when you're both, which Kevin Keegan has been all his career, it's a potent mix. So a huge relief Newcastle survived, clean slate, so to speak. He brings in the likes of Barry Venison, goes out and and really strengthens. Um, and then you see Newcastle just fly to the top of the league. You see some great football, David Kelly, you know, just enjoying his time. Gavin Peacock. I mean, you had yeah, it, it was a great time to to be a Newcastle United fan. It, it oh, it was. And from that time in, the whole of the Keegan managerial reign was a great time to be Newcastle United fan. In fact, if you love football, you love Newcastle United and you love Keegan. Every neutral, we were their favourite club um, because of the style he played. Ruthless manager. I mean, he knew, for example, that Ned Kelly he was a top, top striker that would score a handful of goals. But the minute we got promoted, he was out. Um, and he, it was like, as a player, when he come in and he had Vivardi alongside and Vivardi scores a pile of goals, that's fine if we're going to stay in the second division, but I, I need a Beardsley. Where Ned Kelly goes and look at the centre-forwards we start getting. Um, he would make ruthless decisions. And there was always fun stories behind the big signings. And, you know, without going into them in great depth because there was far too many of them. But, I mean, with Peter Beardsley, he lied to his age. He lied about Beardo's age to John Hall because John Hall didn't want to sign somebody about 31. And, and he, was, he was about 33. He, he lied about his age. Then, when Newcastle were wavering, and he already had Beardsley sitting in the hotel, and he was in the car park waiting to go and talk to him. When Newcastle and I were wavering, he'd fibbed about his age. They were waving, well, should we do He told them that Sunderland were in for him. And of course they weren't, but he told them the Sunderland went for him and they would go and get him, got him. He famously told Rob Lee that Newcastle's closer to London than Middlesbrough. Um, and that wasn't as daft as it sounds because if you're physically leaving London to travel to uh, either Newcastle or Middlesbrough, you'll get to Newcastle quicker because it's on direct than Middlesbrough. So it wasn't as stupid as it sounds, but it's a lovely tale. It, it, he, and then... I mean, he got Andy Cole. Um, I mean, that deal, there's 13 people who the Bristol uh, City um, Committee, which uh, board, if you like, 
they'd all had to agree that they would sell them, etc. And Newcastle were getting more and more frustrated and they said, get Andy to phone KK immediately. We wouldn't. Bristol said he couldn't find out, didn't know where he was. They sent a, a club official round Bristol looking for him, saw his car parked, didn't know where he was, left a message under the windscreen wiper saying, will you please phone the chairman? Um, Andy, who was a bachelor, was in Lawn Direct, sitting watching these smalls going round in the in, in the dryer. Um, come back out, got the message, phoned the chairman, he was on his way up here and, and signed for Newcastle. And um, we got Ferdinand. But I always remember, Keegan was going to watch Ferdinand, who he loved. QPR playing Liverpool, Keegan was going to go to watch Ferdinand. And he's sitting in a car just about to drive off from St James's Park and he sees Andy Cole walk up the steps he was going in to collect his post. And he's a single man, remember, so he knows he hasn't got a family to go back to now. Comes back down, he says, Andy, come over here. He says, what, what's, what do you want, boss? He says, get in the car. He says, get, he says, get in the car. So he sat in the front seat and he set off. And he set off for, for Liverpool to watch a match. Andy didn't know where he was going. He just got in the cards in James's Park. He ended up sitting there. He said, I want you to watch this centre forward. And he's going a pile of goals for Newcastle. He said, but this fella leads a line properly. He said, I want you to sit with me and I don't want you to watch a game. I just want you to watch Ferdinand. He said, because that's the way centre forward should play. And he, he wanted to sign Ferdinand to play with Andy Cole. In fact, he replaced Andy Cole by um, but I mean, you know, everybody loved him so much. He stood on the stairs, you know, the famous occasion. He stood on the stairs with Newcastle United fans who were rebelling against Andy Cole going to Manchester United. And he said, you've just got to keep faith with me. You've got to keep faith with me and we'll come out the right side. And what was the right side? I'm not underestimating what Andy Cole did at Manchester United because it was absolutely phenomenal. But we got Les Ferdinand and Alan Shearer, so we didn't do too badly. Um, great, great stuff. Just want to briefly speak about two games in that promotion season. The, the game against Grimsby, Derek Kelly. I mean, that's when the replay is inches from it in the post, isn't he? Oh. Uh, but the, the celebrations, rushing out the field, Terry Mack and Keegan. Uh, you've then got the pictures inside the dress room with uh, the, 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 the ice buckets and what have you. I mean, just great scenes. Lee Clark getting involved, as, as we can imagine, but as everyone's seen on YouTube and... There was, there was a crown stuck on Keegan's head uh, from one of the fans, a paper crown. Um, and, oh, I mean, phenomenal. And John Hall, to these days, tingles when talking about those special days. When you've fought two years to take over a football club and you've put a amount of money in that he put in to take over, then you've sanctioned, and we're going to go on and keep sanctioning right up to a share of £15 million world record fee, days like that make it all worthwhile. And all the lads laughed afterwards, you know, because one of the people that, that got a bucket, the ice bucket, full of water, ice water, and poured it over Keegan's head when he was on camera talking, was Kelly, who, of course, then got chucked out the club, so don't throw a bucket of water over the manager. <laughs> uh, another one is, is the Leicester game. I mean, you couldn't really write it. I mean, oh, up the here. year before Newcastle was... To go in the third division. Yeah, the, it was kind of tables... Turn wasn't it? because Leicester were also, I think, vying for the playoffs at that time. Newcastle surviving relegation. The they went in the playoffs. playoffs, and then, they were, and then they, yeah, later Newcastle up, and Leicester down the bottom. Um, I mean, that's the, the picture of the scoreboard at half time. I mean, I've never. That's the greatest half I've ever seen of Newcastle for. Um, I think Lindisfarne had give a concert on the pitch, you know, before the the kickoff because we were going up. Yeah. And Lindisfarne were on the pitches. And we went out there, and it was six at half time. And I have never, in Leicester, were a good side at that time. I think that was the season they made the playoffs. For, for all we got done by us, they made the playoffs. Um, and we were, we were six at half time. And the two centre forwards were seven, because you, you never repeated in the second half. Uh, the two centre forwards got hat tricks, and uh, Cole and Ned. Last game, not bad way, going out. Um, it was phenomenal to watch, uh, and and the most, I mean, John Hall, up in his box, the man that had made it all happen, was so carried away. He got a bottle of champagne and some champagne glasses, and he went round every box, 
during the first half when these goals were going in to go into Newcastle fans and, and they were in the boxes and giving me a drink of champagne. They ended up at half time on the television gantry with a bottle of champagne to give the the uh, TV crewmen a drink because of the uh, of the way Newcastle had played the football. And the entertainers were really established by by that time because the whole world was sort of saying, what's this? And this isn't going to fall flat. This is just going to grow and grow. And, and of course it did. And, and, you know, we went on Ginola, Espria, Shearer. I mean, think of that quality. I mean, you know, I'm well. There you are. I've just said Ginola, Aspria, and Shearer. Can you imagine having those three today to play for Rafa up front? Be fantastic, wouldn't it? Oh, we, now we all know Newcastle throwing away, the, you know, the lead at the top, um, oh. and we could go into depth about about the entertainers here. So I'm just going to narrow it down into a few questions. Mm. Um, first of all, when Shearer signed for Newcastle, he wanted the number nine shirt, Les Ferdinand, of course. Had it was the number nine. I mean, that's superb man management for for Keegan to to say, look, Les, it's you know, it's it's part of the deal. She wants the number nine shirt. I mean, it was because it, it was very hard and it was very hurtful to Les the first time he heard it because he knew what number nine meant at Newcastle United. Uh, he'd had a terrific first season, and all of a sudden he's going to be moved. To one side. It was also being said everywhere publicly, not least by pundits, ex-players, etc., etc., that Shearer and Ferdinand would never be able to play together. They were too similar. They were both line leaders. They weren't partners. That it wouldn't be able to happen. And then all of a sudden he's told, well, we're taking the number nine shirt off you and giving it to Shearer, which would indicate that if it, if it doesn't work... You're the one that's going to go and, and not share. And of course, Shearer was a £15 million world record signing Jordy coming back home. The wonderful thing was that uh, Keegan was able to sell it to Les and Les to be, I was about to say, happy with it. I don't think he was ever happy at losing the number nine, but he was more than happy to play alongside Shearer and he was more than acceptable of it. And of course, they were sensational together. Um, and the only difficulty was the both scored bomb of goals. The difficulty was they were both injured for quite significant periods of the of the season. So when you think what might have been if that hadn't hadn't been the case, and 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 Shearer says to this day that the greatest partner he had in his playing career was Les Ferdinand, which was only for a season. And when you think he had. Chris Sutton at, at, at Blackburn when they won the Premier League and he had Sheringham with England, who was a very different sort of partner. He was like a number 10 rather than they. Um, but, it, but him and Ferdinand were absolutely terrific together. So it was a great sadness when they broke up the way they did break up, but that wasn't down to KK, of course. On the pitch, you know, Newcastle came up, they, I think, finished third the first season. You know, they they mm-hmm. blew teams away with this attacking... Yep. Football, cool, Beards. The Beards is seeming to get better with age. Um, Wonderful player. But losing that lead at the top of the title, I think it was, it was, was it 13 points? 12, 12 points. points in February, yep. was it? Yeah. I mean, yep. you have spoken to Keegan. I mean, you like say so you were doing it at talking not, not that many weeks ago. That's them. right. That's right. At the time, I mean, it must have hurt. Oh, I think, I mean, KK would never admit it, I think, but I think, it ripped the heart out of him. And I don't think he was ever quite the same manager again. And this was very early on in his managerial career, if you remember, because Newcastle was his first club as a manager. Um, Kevin Keegan loved attacking football. Uh, I, I know we all do, but it's the hardest way to play if you're a manager. I mean, if you're a manager, the first thing you do is say, let's shut the back door, because if we don't let goals in, we don't lose. And a manager lives by results. He didn't. Never did. He His philosophy was, we'll score at least one more goal than you. You can have three as long as I've got four. Whereas another manager think, you can't have three, we'll, we'll get beat. Uh, that wasn't his uh, philosophy. And he wanted to win the Premier League in the most difficult, in the most wonderful way possible. And that was with all-out attacking football. 
and he went so close to doing it. He finished runners-up. And everybody will hold against him, if you like. I'm talking about neutrals, not Newcastle fans. You blew a 12-point lead, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it didn't work. He finished second. He got us into a position where we could win the title. He got into a position where we were 12 points ahead. Um, you've got to give some credit for that. I mean, a massive, massive credit. He took with the edge of the third division to run us up. Um, uh, but there's no question that his heart died a little bit that day. He knew he could never get so close again. And I think a little bit of him told him that he would never actually win it that way. Uh, and he didn't want to win it any other way. He wanted to win it that way. Um, and I think a little of his heart died that day. Um, and it was sad because within half a season, although we finished runners-up again the next season, it was nowhere near the same type of runners-up. We were never in with a chance of the title. And he left halfway through. And the sadness was, I think he left, it's far too strong to say, of a broken heart, but I think he, he with a, a little bit of despair that he's so near and so close and yet so far. Um, but the thing is, in some ways, some of the players felt a bit let down. For example, Ginola had had the opportunity while at Newcastle to sign for Barcelona and um, Kevin Keegan persuaded him to stay at Newcastle and said what we'll achieve here is can be phenomenal, can be the greatest thing ever, etc., etc. So stay, and he didn't go to Barcelona. But within six months or whatever, Keegan had left. Keegan had got Shearer to turn his back on Ferguson, Manchester United, to come home to Newcastle United. And within, because of what could be achieved here, Manchester United were top and Newcastle were second top. But within a blink of an eye, he left. So Shearer came here to play for Keegan and to play for the entertainers and to win the first the Premier League title with Newcastle United. And the man that he came for, he also came to come home, of course, but had left. So in a way, Shearer and Ginola were let down. Uh, the other thing that always comes up when you when you talk about Keegan is is of course that I would love it if we beat them the moment mm. in front of the sky cameras. I mean, <laughs> yes. Did you when you first saw that happening live? I mean, what was your initial reaction? Did you think he, he he's lost it here? Gary Ferguson's won the mind game. That's what everybody said, uh, and I'm certain that's what Ferguson was after because. Um, Shankly did a similar thing to Joe Harvey before the 74 Cup final, where he was the wily bird that was winning things like, and he wound up Joe Harvey, and Joe Harvey lost it live on television just before the final, and we didn't get a kick. Um, no, I just I just watched it and I could see the emotion welling up in Kevin and the pressure of, because we were under the caution here, the points were, the 12 point lead was disappearing. And I just thought, Kevin, don't say it, don't do it. I didn't know what he was going to say, but I knew he was going to get terribly emotional and was going to say something outrageous, uh, which is what he did. And I just thought, oh. But having seen him behind the scenes, having known he walked out five times on Newcastle before he actually left, etc., etc., um, it didn't surprise me, it just dismayed me. And, I mean, he, got, he, he went from that, pulled himself together, got on the coach... In Newcastle going home on the coach and the players didn't know the, about that outburst until they got sort of halfway home and the word was coming back that the boss had gone gaga. Um, I just... He would always lose it. He was... He is... It's both his strength, his weakness. It's, it's both one of the most endearing things and the, one of the, the things that lets him down. He's hugely emotional. Uh, and it comes out and it will happen time and time again. You either love him for it or you think, oh dear me, that's your Achilles heel. And it's both. It is, it is. And he then resigned, I think it was in the January of 97. Yeah. Um, and then that was probably the, what we thought was going to be the last we'd receive him at Newcastle. Obviously he went on to manage City, Fulham, yeah. uh, England, England. Not in that order. But, you know, and then he suddenly returns with oh. uh, Mike Ashley in charge. And at the time, it seemed like a fairy tale. 
think Keegan admits, you know, there was this guy with money, business money, thought he, he was going to have the funds to spend. I mean, I think I remember the night, um, the FA Cup game against Stoke, when it, the, the rumours first came out, Sam Aldice walking down at the Britannia, mm. pouring rain, and that was when it, it all started to come out. I mean, from a person, from a football fan perspective, I thought it was it was always the wrong decision. I, I, I don't know what you think, I, but... I've got to be honest, and I've been a Keegan, despite our fallout temporarily over the book, I've been a Keegan fan all my life because of what he's done for Newcastle United. I thought it was totally the wrong decision. I thought it was Ashley, knowing nothing about the game, trying to placate the fans, will give you one of your... Because he'd been out of the game. Yeah, old superstar. He'd run away to, to the circus. He was he was running a soccer circus in Glasgow. Glasgow yeah. um, uh, out of the game totally. That was a lot different from being out of the game when you've just finished playing as a young man and coming in full of vibrance and to, to, to coming back into the game at this stage of your life. Um, I think it was just... I mean, he did it again, didn't he, when he went and got Shearer, you know, we'll give you... Who can we... Under problems to keep up you know each time who do the Newcastle fans love we'll stick him in I, I can still handle him but we'll stick him in the fans will think it's wonderful and emotional do the rest so he sticks Keegan in he sticks Shearer in two of the greatest legends in our game and then treats both of them abysmally uh, which is absolutely shocking I didn't think it was the right decision I thought the history of Kevin Keegan had been written at Newcastle United. It was wonderful. It would be very hard, if not impossible. You never knew with Kev because he'd done the impossible every time. But I honestly thought this was one step too far. Uh, but nonetheless, the way he was treated here was absolutely shocking. And he's not a man to treat like that, you know, because mm. Kevin never forgets. When... You first heard about the rumours when it was announced. I mean, we've spoken in the previous podcast where many of the, the subjects that have been talking about, many of the people have, have picked up the phone. Say Boy Robson, for instance, picked the phone up and said, you know, can we have a chat? Did, did Keegan ever get in touch and, and, and play the water with you and see what you thought or your opinion? Or was it you were just watching from, from afar, kind of? I was watching from afar. He came back and he he brought in Terry Mack. Of course he did, because that was his trusty left in and I was really talking with Terry Mack who, who continued to live in this city of course uh, during all the time and still does to this day and I just thought can he get that charisma and also can he get the backing because what you've got to remember when Kevin Keegan set his legend as a manager here and made the entertainers that he will be forever remembered that he was backed by a chairman that give him everything I mean, he was backed by a chairman that gave him a world record transfer fee for Shearer. Now, can you imagine Mike Ashley beating the world record transfer fee for Newcastle United? These days, a different And so, not only was he coming back longer in the tooth, more cynical and having been out of the game at a later stage, but he was also coming back to a chairman that wasn't going to run the club the way Hall and... Hall and the people around him, Fletcher and the team, not just John, were made for Kevin Keegan and Kevin Keegan was made for them. This was never a marriage in heaven and it was never going to work. And I think Kevin come back, honestly believing, maybe he's in fairy tales, that it, it would be like it used to be. Uh, and no, no, it wasn't. Do you think because he'd set the bar so high previously, it was always, even if Ashley had backed him, it was always going to be yeah, he so difficult? Yes, he couldn't have, he wouldn't have done that again. And he, he wouldn't make the, even with the Manchester City board, if he went to Manchester City today to replace Pep, he wouldn't just automatically do it. We all have our time in life, which is our moment. And um, he had his moment as a manager at Newcastle United, without any shadow of doubt, and the second time wasn't going to happen. But he deserved to be treated with the respect that a legend of Newcastle United ought to be treated. But he wasn't treated that way, and Shearer wasn't treated that way. A man from a totally different walk of life who was just beginning in managership, Chris Hutton, was treated abysmally. Um, and it was, it was sad 
but it was predictable. And it was a sad way of ending. But yet, I think it tarnished Mike Ashley a lot more than it tarnished Kevin Keegan because Kevin Keegan's reputation in this city is untouchable for what he did both as a player and as the manager of the entertainers. Of course, when the tribunal was all proved, it's all, all there. We're not going to really go over it because we will you know, do a special podcast on, of on, course, on the tenure of, of Mike Ashley at a later date. And we don't want to depress people either, do we? No, we're, we're celebrating we're today. On the, we're celebrating. We're on, on, the, on the good things. Um, yeah, and now he's, he's, he's going around. He's still doing the, the talkings. Obviously, you you host quite a few of them up here. Mm. Um, I mean, he's just, a, he's just a very charismatic man. I remember working in Burton. He held a, a talking at Burton. And I had two minutes with him to do an in- interview. It was actually the last interview I did before I joined this job. Right. Um, Newcastle were playing Burton. In All the championship right. a, yeah. a few weeks later, so that was the idea. The interview had finished, and uh, I was about to leave the room. He said, "That's right, you can stay." And he started speaking with with Clough about about Brian. I'm just standing there. Oh, you asked with Nigel, who yeah. was it? But as a, as a football fan, listening to Keegan oh, talking to to Cluffy about his dad, and you're thinking, "I'm in the presence of of there's still two well, one legend and one." As I'd say, you know, yeah, Nigel's he, he, still a very well-respected man in the game, oh, but no question, no question about his father, and I'm just in awe. I mean, and uh, he, he, we say, could he have done it again as a manager here, and possibly not, but uh, it, it, you can't say definitely because Kevin Keegan did the impossible so regularly. But I honestly don't think so. But what he's still kept in absolute abundance is the ability to be so charismatic to win over fans to to make you feel that you're the only person in the room when he's talking to you and that he is thrilled to be talking to you as much as you to him he has always had this massive opinion the cynics say he's the greatest self-promoter of all time because it's all to his benefit but it is also the benefit of whatever he's selling mm. be that brute but it's, leg- it's legit though isn't it it's, he, totally he, he loves Spending the time totally, and signing the totally. autographs. And wherever he goes, he spends longer within the professional. He spends longer there, there than he need because he will talk to fans, he'll sign autographs. And he, he has that to this day and he will continue to have that um, because he's a very special man. Yes, he can be temperamental. Yes, he can be difficult. Yes, he can take the huff. We've all got faults. Everybody's got faults. But what he's got going from is so special that um, he's. When you look back, you can say if dealing in theory, and I love Bobby Robson, adored Bobby Robson, but Bobby Robson's got a statue here. Kevin Keegan hasn't. Kevin Keegan did as much or more for Newcastle United, not for. His, he took them to promotion as a player. He had the entertainers to the second top, Bobby third top, I think. Uh, but then again, there's not a statue to Joe Harvey. And he won the FA Cup twice as a captain and, and won the last trophy you ever got, a European trophy. So you don't always get what you want. And I couldn't see, to be truthful, um, Mike Ashley uh, tomorrow putting up a statue to Keegan and then next to it putting a statue to Shearer, can you? No, not quite. Just a couple of questions then to wrap up. Uh, like I say, you were holding a talking with him about a month ago mm. or so. After all this time, we know that he's got the book out. But I mean, take the book to the to, to the side. Yep. Does he still think about those days and what if and and what could have happened? I th- yes, I think he does. But but he, he he's now changed it ever so slightly to being hugely proud of what did happen. Um, hugely proud of go. I'm talking as manager now, rather than as a player. Because as a player, let's be truthful, his great days were at Liverpool and Hamburg. What he did here is phenomenal for us, but it wasn't the highlight of his playing career. Uh, But this, I think, was the highlight of his managerial career. Um, I think he looks back... When he left, I think he was decimated not to have won the title in the way he wanted to win the title. It was always a what-if, what-if, what-if. And I think it coloured what came along after that. I think now he's slightly changed his tack. And he's now not what if, he's now immensely proud of what he achieved here, the set of players he had here, the quality of players he had here, 
what he gave, not just the city of Newcastle, but the whole of football uh, was agog by what he did here. And I think he's also, ironically, although it's not the main part, I think he's suddenly appreciative of what he had in the boardroom. When he had John Hall, the relationship was always, I want a little bit more, I want a little bit more, oh, I might be leaving, or I might not, that sort of relationship. He now looks back and he thinks, yeah, I got terrific back, and that was a proper chairman because he's gone to other football clubs and mightn't have had proper chairmen, and then he's ended up here again with Mike Ashley, who shall we say is a different sort of chairman to Sir John Hall. So I think it's changed his perception of history. And I think there's more... Because this has also stayed the highlight of his career, and of his managerial career, and I, I think it's now changed his thoughts, and it's not so much what if, it's bye, didn't we do well? And just finally, I always ask you this in Gibber's Corner, just about a story, a memory that you shared with Keegan, just to, to really give our listeners a kind of insight into, into the great man. Great, great question. Um, I think the great memory is of him being a pie piper um, and his ability to think on his feet. If I go back to when he was playing and we took the road shows all the way around the northeast, I used to say to the missus back home, don't expect me, I mean, first of all, don't expect me home about one o'clock in the morning and secondly, I haven't been in the nightclub, I've just left Kevin. And he didn't drink. The only thing he did in that deal with the breweries was said, I will not be, have photos taken of me with a pint in my hand. I don't drink, I'm a clean liver, I've got an image, I ain't going to do that. They said, we don't want you to do that. We just want you to talk to the fans. Every week was sold out and after every show, and we won from 7 to 11 with a 20-minute break, that's all. And just one man on with me, not not any warm-up, not anybody else, not any food, non-stop talk. And I, at the end, he didn't leave the stage, he took three steps to the edge, cocked his legs over the edge, sat on the edge of the stage, all the bouncers lined the fans up in a long line, which went twice around the, the concert room, and he signed everybody's book, had his photograph taken, talked to them for two to three minutes and marched them on. And I had to sit there twiddling my thumbs, drinking the beer he wouldn't have, waiting for the end of the show. It was all over, but I wouldn't leave before he left because I was part of the thing with him. And that abiding memory of, my God, how many superstars in any profession, be it sport, be it singing, be it film star, will give so much to his public. He was quite unique. Pleasure to have known him. Pleasure to have loved him. Pleasure to have fought with him. Pleasure to have loved him again. Um, it's just a sign of his character that he's still like that today. That has been Gibber's Corner. If you have any suggestions that you would like John Gibson to talk about, then please email them over to andrew.musgrove at reachplc.com and we will get them in the list. We have a few coming up, including likes of Joe Harvey but of course you know this wouldn't work without you guys so please do email in or um, contact John if you see him at the game or what have you and yeah we'll be back next week with a feature length episode of the Everything is Black and White podcast thank you very much <laughs>